Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? We got an interesting email this week. And it was from someone who asked, Carol, is there ever a time that I can stop feeling like I'm an addict? And you know, the answer to that is yes and no. You heard me say it a couple of weeks ago when I said the the formula for being an addict and good recovery is that he or she knows that he is an addict. He is open and he has humility. And so I guess what I mean by that is if there's this openness to explore Whatever one needs to do to get healthy, that's good recovery. And if there is a sense of brokenness, now, you know, I believe in good self-esteem and confidence, but you also need to know that this addiction caused a lot of problems, and you may get better, but you don't ever want to forget where you were because That's important information to keep you traveling in the right direction. And then third, yes, you always have to have humility. You have to be humble. You have to know that you're a work in progress and and that you are just like anybody else. You are working it. You're looking for progress, not perfection. And you're enjoying the journey. That is what is so important in recovery. Hi, I'm Carol Jurgensen-Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and gosh, it's an honor to be with you tonight. I know you don't believe it, but 
this is my long night. Well, it's my long day. In actuality, I have worked a couple of weeks in a row. I work Saturday, I work Sunday, and then I work tonight and finished my group at about 6.45, had a couple-hour break, and here I am, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I really do consider this an honor. And here's why. I know that I've got a bunch of people listening that are at their lowest low. But what I believe to be true is that I'm so blessed that you're here with me because I'm going to guide you to the right place. That's my promise. And I know you probably don't think anybody could guide you to the right place, but I know I can because I interview the experts, I have great information, and I have made it my passion to get you the right, to, to the right resources, to the right people, to the right books. And so here is what I know. If you're listening, I want you to get out a piece of paper and a pen, and I want you to write things down, and I want you to follow through with them. You know, sometimes addicts have a lot of trouble following through. It's like their intention is true, but their follow-up is horrible. And you can't do that. You've got to be on it. You've got to push yourself. You've got to go that extra mile. If you're single and you're not quite happy with your recovery, then get with your fellowship, get with a sponsor, get with the right therapist, a CSAT, a certified sexual addiction therapist, and figure out what will fine-tune your program. And if you're in a coupleship, well, then your recovery is twofold. Your recovery is your own personal recovery, and you got to decide what is it going to take to keep me abstinent, sober, happy. And then that second part is it's a relational issue. And what is it going to take to make my relationship healthier, happier, and feeling more safe. That's what you got to decide. Tonight in my group, I was talking about the first three recovery tasks of Patrick Carnes. And if you've been listening to the show, you probably know that the first recovery task is breaking through denial. And, you know, it was an interesting phenomenon. I was asking my group, how have you found yourself breaking through denial this week or this month? Now, we've got guys in all types of recovery, all sorts of longevity. And what they said was that they were always aware of the fact that they were in a state of denial find themselves minimizing, justifying, rationalizing behaviors, and they would stop themselves and they go, whoa, I can't do that. Now, that second recovery task, according to Patrick Carnes, is to understand sexual addiction in and of itself. And that's why one of my recovery tools is that you 
not only read your white book or your green book, your smart recovery, recovery nation, but you also, you read other recovery literature so you understand that this is not about moral failure. This is about brain science. This is about how you've trained your brain to light up and that way you can learn how to tone it down. And then that third recovery task is about surrender. You know, how have you surrendered to understand that this is a wacky, crazy addiction and you can't do it by yourself and you have to depend on a higher power slash universe slash fellowship slash the group slash it can't be just you. You've got to learn how to connect with other people because if you're going to work on your addiction, no matter what kind of addiction you have, you have to, and I mean this, you have to connect with other people because connection is the antidote for any kind of sexual addiction. Connection in a healthy way. Now, tonight, we're going to be talking about something that may be affecting you. You know, it's so difficult to understand the different types of addiction. We have sex addiction. We have sex and love addiction. We have love addiction. And sometimes you may feel like, hey, mine might be blurred. I mean, I had a man tonight that said to me, My addiction is about the appreciation, attention, and admiration I get from others. Could I be a love addict? And I said, well, let's go over some of the criteria. As a matter of fact, tonight, I am going to be interviewing an expert. I mean, she's amazing, Lacey Bentley has written a book on love addiction or she talks about to be addicted to love. You know, she did write a book called Overcoming Love Addiction and now she's revised it and she's called it Addicted to Love. And what is that? And what are the factors behind that? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And so... You know I always interview the experts, people that have made it their mission to help others to understand what might be going on with them. And it is a tough situation because this is not something you can necessarily talk to anybody about. So I'm glad that you're listening to the show and you're willing to hear our experts talk about what is near and dear to their heart. So Lacey Bentley. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic, Carol. Thanks so much for having me back again. I'm really excited to be here. Well, absolutely, because obviously this is your specialty, and there are so many sex addicts that go, hmm, I'm classified as a sex addict, but I might be a sex and love addict, or I just might be a love addict. So would you describe the difference between the three classifications, sex addict, sex and love addict, 
and love addicts. Well, I will certainly try. It's like you said just a few minutes ago, there are so many blurs. And I'd love to say it's like a continuum, but it isn't necessarily a continuum. There's just this space where the sex addiction, where we've got um, perhaps pornography addiction, which can also be a symptom of love addiction, or we've got compulsive masturbation or serial relationships, lots and lots of one-night stands, multiple partners in a week, that kind of thing, where a monogamous committed relationship isn't really possible. It's not even just not happening, but it feels absolutely impossible. There's a lot of sexual acting out behaviors. And then we've got love addiction where there's, it's more focused on, especially for women, I'm noticing, I'm not, you know, I'm not the expert on male love addiction. Um, I haven't quite lived that, right? But we're dealing with these women who they, they call themselves love addicts, they identify as being addicted to love, but what they're really hooked on is that hunt, is that flirtation, it's that being wanted. It's like you had talked about with that man earlier who was in your group, you know, I need the, I need the admiration of other people. It's, it's being looked at. It's receiving that male gaze or that sexual gaze from another human being, the tantalizing conversations, the feelings of forbidden contact. And so that's where the quote unquote love addiction is coming in. And then, you know, you've got this, this space in the middle where there's this overlap that can be not only really challenging to navigate because you're dealing with multiple facets of really pretty much the same issue and pulling those apart and seizing those apart can be really confusing and it can be really stressful. And we usually assume that men have the porn addiction and the sex addiction and women are just, they're, um, they're real easy. They, you know, they're even, we have these mean words for them, or they're really into just like the relationships and the emotional affairs and that kind of thing. And what we're realizing now is it is so blurred. There's, if there even ever was a, this isn't what it looks like for men and this is what it looks like for women, that has become so blurred as our culture and the media and what we're all exposed to has gotten so messy and intertwined that I don't think we can necessarily pick it apart and say this is a man, this is what it looks like for a man, this is what it looks like for a woman. Well, absolutely, and I'm glad that you talked about that difference to some degree. Now, you're really passionate about this because you have your own story. So can you tell our listening audience a little bit about your story? Sure, I would love to. So my, so I grew up, you know, like many, many women who qualify themselves as sex or love addicts. I was sexually abused as a little girl, started pretty early. And then in my teenage years, you know, dad wasn't there. I didn't really have a positive role model. I didn't have that loving male connection that I needed. Um which just laid a foundation for a whole lot of messy energy when it came came to love and relationships and wanting to feel wanted by men, wanting to feel like I had some value. And 
so about 13, I came across this little TV guide-sized magazine from Playboy that was just chock full of erotic story after erotic story. And there were encounters, and there were comics, and there were crossword puzzles. And there weren't the the normal mainstream porn like when we say Playboy that you would expect. It was really tailored towards the mind and the emotions and the experience as opposed to the visual stimuli. And then, um, and that kind of started this like binging and purging, if you will, of reading the stories and hiding behind the couch to relieve the sexual tension. And then come about 14, 15, I started high school and a bunch of my friends as part of an online community, we got started watching anime, what back then was called uh, bubblegum. Now I believe it's called manga. And then it turned into hentai, which is literally translates to the word pervert, which is just, you know, young women and older men, teachers, coaches, you know, stuff like that. And this attraction for these younger girls who are these coquettish, always willing, always available 13, 14, 15, 17 year olds who have the bodies of full grown women, but are with the mentality of a young girl. Um, And so that went on for a while. And even as I got out of that and started to recognize that I was, now I have the language to say exploiting myself. You know, the shorts get shorter, the tank top straps get thinner, that kind of thing. And starting to want that male gaze, that male sexual energy to come my way without realizing that I was playing with very real emotions and very real people, I just wanted to feel good. I just wanted to feel wanted. Because in hentai and anime, that's the number one, that's the number one currency. That's the biggest value is being wanted, is being pursued. And so I started to take that onto myself. And that kind of followed me actually for a very, very long time in living in this fantasy world where I really struggled, as many women do, to keep my mind in the here and now, to keep myself in my marriage, to keep myself centered on what was happening around me. And instead, I was jumping into these fantasy worlds. And, you know, a lot of the times they weren't even sexual fantasy worlds. They were fantasy worlds where my house was clean and I was getting enough sleep. And what would it be like if my kids didn't fight and argue and bicker? And then there were the very real emotional and romantic feelings that would come up and just realized one day what I was doing is creating a big mess as I sat with a friend at dinner. I actually share this story from a client perspective in my book. That's one thing that I would change if I could go back because that was actually my story where we sat at dinner and the waiter sat down, you know, we had been going here for dinner for a while and the waiter sat down, put his arm around me um, like he belonged there. And, you know, mind you, this was like 10 years ago. And she just looked at me and she said, what is wrong with you? What are you doing? We're both married. We hang out with our husbands. We go on double dates with our husbands. We have kids the same age. And she's watching me get into this crazy making. And she called me on it. And it was that night I realized I was going to have to make some serious changes where I was going to lose everything that mattered to me, not just my friendship with this amazing, wonderful friend I had 
who was willing to call me on my crap. No kidding. And that so, really was a true friend. Anybody that you can depend on to be honest with you, no matter what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So then what would you do when she called you on oh. her stuff and you dealt with it? I told her she was a jerk. <laughs> that was my first reaction. I'm like, you are so rude. She said, she said to me, I don't care. We're leaving. And we got our check and we left. I spent the night unable to sleep, just so upset at her for being so rude. And by morning, I had realized she was the brave one. She was the one who was right. And, you know, called her up, apologized, said, I just want you to know I'm going to get help. And I'm going to get this under control because I, like, you know, what you said was totally right on. I'm glad you did it. I'm not upset with you. I'm angry with myself. Just going to, like, pull back in for a few weeks and get myself figured out. And that's when I started attending 12-step for the second time in my life. First time being for an eating anorexia recovery in 2000. And then here we are in 2010, and I'm going, okay, I'm going to try 12-step again. And that's how I started on this path that led to me writing the book and now mentoring and coaching other women who are in recovery. And so tell me, what was it like to be in your first 12-step group for this type of recovery? Oh, I didn't like it. (laughs) I sat there and cried the whole 90 minutes. I just cried. I wouldn't even tell them my name. I just cried because I was so angry at myself. So it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Took me probably a good month, month and a half to start to actually open up. Okay. So obviously you were confused. You were beating yourself up. You didn't understand what was really going on. You were doing your absolute best to follow the next right step. You knew you had to do something. Your friend was a wake-up call. Let me ask you, um, do you believe it's really possible to be addicted to love? No, no. We can certainly think we're addicted to love, but it's like I said, we're hooked on the flirting, the tantalization, the, the newness, but love, real love, it's not possible to be addicted to that. Now, we can crave it like we crave a really great salad or protein, or I love my green smoothies, but I can't be addicted to a green smoothie. There's nothing in there that's addicting. It's healthy. It's good for me. And we start to think that our craving for real love and real connection and this, this deep knowing and intimacy of another human being, we think that that craving is, we get it distorted kind of like you were talking about, and we go into denial about what it really means, and we start to go for the easy fix, you know, the chocolate cake of love, which is the flirting and the forbidden office relationships, the emotional affairs. That's where it gets started. But ultimately, no, it's not actually possible to be addicted to love any more than you can be addicted to broccoli. 
Well, and you know, for me, when I'm talking to people that say I'm a sex and love addict or I'm a love addict, what they more oftentimes feel like to me is that they love that attention, they love that appreciation, they love that admiration. It's the high of being noticed, acknowledged, and recognized. That's Mm -hmm. where they get their biggest hit. What do you think? I I think I see that in the women I work with time um, that just it's so exciting and we think that that excitement is a normal part of life and while it well it is normal but we start to think that I should feel like that all the time because when we watch romantic comedies it's like that all the time when we watch any movies or read books, it's like that all the time. So we start to think that that's actually love when what it is is a chemical response to the chemicals in another person or the, you know, something that we've become attracted to, a certain hairstyle or a certain type of personality or a certain facial, you know, makeup. And ultimately what we've got to realize is love itself is very different than all of that. There comes a time in a relationship where it's about a decision. It's about a choice to remain committed and to grow love, to fertilize it, to nourish it and nurture it into something that takes work. I mean, it's already something that takes work, but learning to take responsibility for that and recognize that, we're not going to have butterflies permanently. It's just not how love and true commitment and connection happens. I'm not sure if I answered yeah. your question. <laughs> Absolutely. No, you did. And I'm glad that you're, what you're doing is you're distinguishing between the reality of a relationship and the fantasy. Because truly, the dopamine that occurs when you first meet someone and blah, 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 it's there. It is really mm-hmm. real. But that dies And there's off. a lot then, of dopamine. There is a lot of dopamine, especially if you have a tendency to be a sex love or love addict. I mean, you have more of a capacity for that dopamine. So, you know, what you have to remember is what do I want in my life that's going to give me long-term pleasure. And that more than likely is a connection. And we all know that the antidote for any kind of addiction is connection. So I want to ask you just a couple of questions that I think will help our listening audience understand more about love addiction. You wrote this book. It was called Overcoming Love Addiction, and now it's called Addicted to Love. So tell me what made you make those changes. So I got picked up by a publisher, first of all, and as we were having our first chat with the marketing team, about five of us on the phone, and someone said to me, you realize you have a really clinical title and you're not a clinician. And I went, I do? And we just realized the more we talked that what really, like I'm a woman who has been there. I know how this feels. 
I know how exciting it is, how tantalizing it is, and I also know how destructive it is. And that's the perspective of this book. It's not a book. I mean, sure, I have a bachelor's in psychology. This is not a psychology book. This is not a clinical book. And so it was a decision we made as a team, my publisher and the marketing director and I, to go ahead and change it to Addicted to Love just to make it more accessible to the everyday woman who's struggling to connect in her marriage, who isn't sure she can fall in love with this man again or if she ever even was, and helping her to recognize and use the language that she's familiar with, which is the addicted to love. I mean, that's how we say it. So that she can, she'll pick up the book and she'll recognize there's very possibly something in there for her as opposed to it having that clinical, sterile feel. Because uh, if there's one thing I'm not, it's clinical. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, um, I say it how I feel it all throughout the book. And we just felt that Addicted to Love was a much better fit. Well, yes, and again, that is your story. And it is so many other people's stories. I can tell you from a clinical standpoint that it really speaks to love addiction and what it's dealing with. So, okay, one of the reasons that you decided to change the name of the book was because you didn't want people to think you were a clinician. You wanted them to know that in some ways your experience and your story was their guide. So now Mm -hmm. tell us about your book. Was it Overcoming Love Addiction, Now Addicted to Love? I mean, Tell me, is there any difference in the two? There are minor, minor differences. Um, The the big difference is the feel. The big difference is the look and the feel, which goes, um, it goes more with the feeling that we wanted women to have when they saw the book, which is just this feminine, not romance-based, but just this energy of of just the joy that awaits when she realizes and learns how to rein in her emotions and her passion and her desires and to hold them in a space of sacredness and of integrity and to take those emotions and feelings seriously so that she can have the relationship she's always dreamed of and wanted that she's not going to get with these emotional affairs or these multiple partners or by taking care of herself in the bedroom and not bringing her husband in. So that's kind of where, you know, the flowers and the hearts now are coming from because they're really true to the woman I'm trying to reach. And, uh, you know, the book is really, it's born again out of my journey, my journey towards sexual and relational integrity and it's written for women like me who want that deep committed healed whole marriage and these marriages take a lot of work so within the cover of this book I give eight values that are just these skills that I've learned along my journey years and years of therapy years and years of programs and 12 steps there are these eight major values that I have found absolutely critical, absolutely necessary, many of which I was not able to find 
anywhere else I would learn them from, you know, a therapist here and a therapist there. And I wanted to bring them together in a program for women that help them to develop these skills and these tools and this love, this deep love and appreciation for herself and her own sexuality in a way that I haven't been able to find yet in such a non-clinical way. Okay, so you got to tell us what are what are the seven the the values? Yeah, I'm on my mic. Hold on, let me pull out my table of contents real quick. So, you know, we're looking at accountability, which anyone who's familiar with 12 Steps knows about accountability because we have sponsors. They know about investigation or inventory. Um, We also take a deep dive into honesty and staying in the present moment and how important sacrifice is and giving up the things that are keeping us stuck and how important gratitude and service are. But the there's Chapter 5 is called Empowerment Through Courage, and this is actually where I think a lot of programs, not intentionally, but they fall short for women because we live in a society where women are naturally disempowered. And if you're not a white woman, you're even further disempowered. And so I just saw this really, really huge need for women to learn to be courageous in their recovery to learn to embrace where they've been, what they've done in a way that helps them to move forward instead of making them feel like they will never be good enough. Instead of making them feel so tainted and so broken and so worthless that they can't move forward. So we talk a lot about courage. We talk about the importance of her learning to be empowered, of her learning to say no when she means no and to push back when it's not honored. And that sometimes she gets to press charges and sometimes she gets to scream and sometimes she gets to be hurt and remove herself from a relationship. And so it's that courage and that empowerment that I really, really strive to bring to the women I work with so that they can accept that not only do they have the ability but the responsibility to create this life and this marriage and this happiness that they've always wanted and that it's within reach and it's possible, but she's going to have to be brave and she's going to have to start speaking up. And so that's like you got me on my soapbox. <laughs> but that's really what we yeah, focus you know, on One first. of the things that I, as I heard you, I could really tell your passion. I mean, Clearly, you, you want readers to understand the kind of passion that you have and the courage that they have to have to overcome this. Now, let me ask you, those values are important values, and they can get them in your book, correct? Yeah, yeah, they're in the book. Okay, because... You also offer a lot of free downloads on your website, and I wanted to talk about them a little bit. For anybody who may fear that they are a love addict, they can go to your website, and that website has just got a lot of important resources, and that website is, um, I'm looking at it right now, www.herrecoveryroadmap.com. Dot com. And so 
you've got five reasons you'll want to quit, five steps to hang in there, all sorts of articles and downloads, people to identify if that speaks to them. Tell us about those free downloads. Okay, so I do have quite a few. Like you said, I've got articles, I've got um, podcasts, I've got interviews out there that are all free resources. And one that I have just put up there, it's uh, five reasons you're going to want to quit and five tips for hanging in there, for not giving up. And that's actually a new, it's a brand new free download I've got. Um, You just go scroll to the bottom of the page, enter your email address, and there will be a pop-up box where you can download it right there and have instant access. And then throughout the, you know, the first 10, 12 days that you're a part of our email list after signing up for that, you'll receive some additional free things. I send out one of my very favorite podcast interviews um, with Sheena Tubbs from Love Junkies. That one was, you know, you got to love the Love Junkies, right? That's ultimately what we are. And um, so just lots Absolutely. of free stuff. She is just, the best. She, she, she really she it and it well. She does. And I figure, you know, the porn's free, and so we should be able to get lots of free resources to help get away from the porn and away from the the fantasy and away from the distortions that this world would tell us our love and connection. Mentality, because you're exactly right. The porn industry does everything possible to get us hooked to train our brain that we need more and we need to find out what else is out there. And so it's people like yourself that says, hey, I can definitely help you with information that will remind you that absolutely there are five steps to hanging in there and there are five reasons you'll want to quit and download these things for free and find out more about them. So you've got a lot of PDF files available, and you actually even run recovery boot camps. So we talk a little bit about what those recovery boot camps are all about. I would love to. So like I like I said, the the eight values are in my book. There's a chapter on each of them. Excuse me. And what I do in the recovery boot camp is I basically take women individually. Through there's a there's a recording of me talking, doing kind of a training on what these things mean. You know, what do I mean when I say accountability? What does here and now mean? How does that apply to you? And there's a homework that they do, and we have a few calls throughout the eight week process, and a support group where they are able to join and connect with other women in recovery. And the boot camp is really there to help women who have been in recovery for a little while, but they're just not getting the momentum they want. Um, they, they really just want to go deeper. They really want to get some real healing and recovery, but they're struggling to know where to turn. And, you know, they may be loving their 12-step and they're just sensing the need for more or 12-step isn't doing it for them and they need something more. Because I think 12-step gives us a fantastic foundation I think for women, there's more that they need as well. And so that's why I created the boot camp is just to say, hey, 
We're going to spend the next, it's actually nine weeks because there's some pre-work, but we're going to spend the next eight to nine weeks together. I'm going to teach you as much as I possibly can and give you individual one-on-one help and coaching and mentorship. So it's kind of like having, uh, you know, a, a sponsor on steroids, if you will. I'm not quite sure what to call that. I think that adequately describes it for sure. So now let me ask you a couple of other questions because clearly anybody that, here's what I believe. My clients that come in to talk about sex and love addiction or love addiction, it's fuzzy. It's gray. They just think, well, am I just, do I just have the capacity to want to be with a lot of different people when they pay attention to me? And so I want to know, what would you say to a woman out there wondering if she'll ever be able to figure it out and to find the right recovery steps to stay in recovery? I would tell her it's absolutely possible. And you and I know, Carol, that there's not one golden key. There's not one answer. And many, many women end up needing to try out a few different groups, a few different therapists, a few different coaches. You know, me personally, in my first four years of recovery, I had five different sponsors. It's not that they were failing me. It's that I had different needs and they had different experience and different encouragement that they could give me. And, and, I, and women just, if they can recognize that Getting into recovery and staying in recovery takes some introspection. It takes starting to understand what your needs are, looking for the right mentor, looking for the tools that you need, and learning to have faith in yourself again is so critical because we lose our sense of worth. We lose our sense of being able to believe in and trust ourselves. And as she starts to redevelop that ability to trust herself and starts to reach out and find places that that feel right and starts to look for the mentorship and the guidance and the support and recovery that her heart so desperately needs, it will get easier. And more and more the things she's ready for will come ready for will come to her. She'll recognize them. She'll start to see them better. Not just the programs and the mentorships and the books, but also the people. So start to be able to recognize people who are safe and who can help her in her recovery a lot more. And we just too often think we're alone. Too often we think we're the only one dealing with this. We're the only one who feels like this. The only one that's messed up. And it's just not true. No, and you give a lot of hope, strength, and recovery because you understand that it is not true. And so I wanted to ask you, because clearly you are a person that understands the kind of questions to ask yourself if you have this kind of condition. So when I went to your um, website, you have investigation questions. And you ask people to honestly record their responses. Don't worry about judgment or condemnation. The more honest they are, the deeper their recovery will go. And so you ask, 
you know, what behaviors do you engage in to elicit feelings um, or reaction from another person in some way? And, and you say, mm-hmm. please look at the emotional, the sexual, the romantic ways that you work on eliciting feelings. Can you tell our listening audience a little bit about what that really means? Yeah, I can. And I'm really glad you brought that up because that is something that is so important for us as women to get a handle on. And it, you know, what I, there are a lot of directions this answer could go. Um, So I'm going to share an example. So let's say a woman is feeling little under the weather. She's feeling unappreciated by her husband, but she's got this colleague at work who gives her a little extra attention. And there's kind of something going on there. She's not looking for an affair. He's not looking for an affair. But there's just this fun, flirty thing. And so she decides today she's going to wear a particular pair of jeans and do up her hair extra nice and maybe put on some lipstick that she doesn't usually wear. And it's not, hey, I want to look good for myself. I want to look good because I... I feel more confident, and I just like to take care of myself. It's, let's, it's, that, it's that drive to get more attention. It's that drive to create an attraction or an arousal or a curiosity or something, oh, what is the word I'm looking for, kind of mystical, um, and intentionally pulling out feelings of attraction or romance or sexuality, you know, with the flirting, with the types of conversations we're having, being really aware of those and that not only do we not have a right as women to take those emotions from other human beings, to like pull them out in a manipulative way, but we don't have a right to mess with someone else's marriage or engagement or sexual integrity. But so often we feel like we feel so um, we, we don't love ourselves enough. And when we don't love ourselves well, I know this sounds so cliche, but it's really, really true. When we don't truly love ourselves, we cannot love another person in the way we want to, the way we were created to. And therefore, we will often find ourselves justifying manipulating these feelings out of other people to make us feel better. This male gaze, this attraction, this flirting, or even just looking for, you know, we call it fishing, you know, trying to get compliments. Oh, my project's not that good. Trying to get compliments to trying to help have someone else fill our bucket and help us feel we have worth and value. And so those are the kinds of behaviors I'm asking women to really sit with, to really investigate, and I want her to feel that discomfort of manipulating someone else, of trying to take from another person feelings of worth for herself. Because ultimately, we have to learn how to give those to ourselves. And yeah, it's great to have someone high-five us for a fantastic project or you know, it feels good when people say, oh, I read your book and it helped me so much. Thank you so much for writing it. Sure, that feels good. But before I wrote the book, I had to get to a place 
where it was okay if nobody ever read it and nobody ever liked it. And that was scary because it was a very real possibility. And in order to get to that place, I first had to look at how I manipulate other people's emotions and try to take my value from their response to me, whether it's romantic or sexual or, um, you know, intellectually or spiritually. So that's really where I'm going with that, the kinds of things I want to help women really dig into and understand about themselves so they can move forward and learn to love themselves and others truly and honestly. Well, that totally makes sense. And that is what every woman wants to do, whether they have love addiction, a sex addiction, sex and love addiction. They've got to love themselves honestly, which means they have to feel like their values are congruent with who they want to be. And so I can't thank you enough, Lacey, for talking to our listening audience about this topic because, like I said, it does seem kind of fuzzy. It does seem kind of gray. And, you know, as we begin to wrap up, I'm wondering, is there anything you would add? And will you, is there anything you would add for anybody who might be saying, wow, she's, she's talking my language, she's speaking my song, I think I might be a love addict? I, I would just... I would encourage I would encourage a listener who is feeling that to sit with that and to investigate it and think about it and to realize that there is a very real link between all of these you know different compulsive behaviors and addictions in this it's just this craziness that we've got in our world, you know, the pornography use, the love addiction, the dysfunctional relationships, the fantasy, the manipulation and the distortion and the denial, all of it is so linked and so intertwined. It's not really a huge deal that you find one label or one, you know, one thing to call it that makes you feel like, yes, this is my thing. What's really important is to realize if you've got one of these behaviors, you're probably crossing over into others, totally natural, totally human, totally normal. And now what are you going to do about it to make sure that you can have the deeply connected, the loving, the compassionate, the hopeful uh, marriage and relationship that you want with your intimate partner and to have honest, um, productive, healthy relationships with other people you interact with in the world. Because none of us, none of us lives in a bubble. We're all connected, especially in this day and age. And how are we, how are we taking care of and responsibly handling our power to impact other people and what can we do not worrying about what we call it all the time not worrying about labels and diagnoses all the time though those are often very important but just going really how am I impacting myself and other people through what I do compulsively through what I've tried to stop and I can't stop and now where do I want to turn how can I start to get some help for this and just recognizing you know, we didn't get to this place in a day. When I really woke up, I was 32. 
32 years of creating a big fat mess. No wonder it's taken me now almost 10 to clean it up. It takes some time, but we get more and more rigorous, more and more um, responsible in how we treat other people, how we love ourselves and others. And it's really a matter of continuing in recovery, continuing along the journey, and just improving as things come to our awareness. It's not about being perfect and stopping all the behaviors that upset us at once. Well, you're exactly right, as well as, you know, again, you said, gosh, it took you till you were 32, and I work with a lot of women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and so the, the age limit should not bother you. It's that are you ready to make the best of your life, and are you willing to do what it takes? Because really, doesn't it all wind down to willingness? You know, what are you willing to do to research and search and be gentle with yourself as you decide what is it that you need to do differently? And, you know, you talked about being married, and you are married, correct? Yeah, yep, 21 years now. I cannot believe that. I believe that. I don't know how that and yet, <laughs> love I'm not old enough. I'm only I'm only 25, Carol. I don't know how I've been married for 21 years. I am so sorry. I had no idea there was that age differentiation. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, I've got a lot of women in my caseload that they're love addicts or think they are, and they're single, which even makes it a little bit tougher. You know, because yeah. they don't have an altered reality that they ascribe to that's right there in the present. Yeah, and that can be a challenge. And it's important to still just keep working on ourselves to focus on what we can do to become the kind of woman that is capable of having these honest, responsible, healthy relationships with other human beings. Okay, so now just share with us one more time the name of your book, because it's a new new name and it's been altered mm-hmm. to some degree, is? Yeah. My beautiful book, Baby, is called Addicted to Love, Recovery, Empowerment, and Finding Your True Self. And it is available on my website, herrecoveryroadmap.com slash books. (laughs) It's available on there for pre-order. My paperbacks are at the printer right now. So I'll have those in about five to ten more days. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, aren't they like $14.99? They are. I'm actually going to drop them to $9.95. And then with shipping, it'll oh. be just under 15. I should what do that tonight before anyone goes and tries to buy them. I love that. Okay. Well, Lacey, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and being so honest and real, vulnerable, transparent, authentic, and you name it, you are it. And that's what we're all trying to be. So to our listening audience, um, go to her website, and again, that is www.herrecoveryroadmap.com. 
Look for those That's free it. downloads. Order, pre-order her book, and follow her on Facebook on Real Love Tribe. And Instagram is yeah. www.instagram.com. Lacey, and how do you say that middle name of yours? <laughs> it's tricky. Elena. It's Elena, Elena but with a, a J. Dot. Yeah. It's okay, Elena so with I, a J. A-L-A-J-N-A. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's Lacey, L-A-C-Y-A-L-A-J-N-A. Thank you so much, Lacey, and keep me posted on everything you're doing. You are amazing. Of course. Thanks so much, Carol. It's been so great to talk with you again. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to be talking with her again soon when she comes up with a new project or a new book. She's somebody who really makes it her mission to educate the public on how they can help themselves, and that is so important. I'm Carol Jurgensen, Chief, a.k.a. Carol the Coach. Hey, check out my new um, video. I've actually got two. Go to uh, YouTube and then put in Sex Help with Carol the Coach. That'll give you sex addiction and partner betrayal videos. And then I have a Carol the Coach um, YouTube, but it's under my name, Carol Sheets. So put in Carol Sheets and get videos that help you take your life to the next level separate from addiction, separate from partner betrayal. It's all about just taking your life to the new, new and next level. And so this last video, I said, hey, you have about 10 days in January to turn every positive thought and or every negative thought into a positive thought. Do your feet hurt? Well, then tell yourself you love the new boots or shoes that are warming your feet as they ache a little bit. Out of money? Well, then tell yourself, wow, I'm getting to live in simplicity. Has someone you love betrayed you? Then say, wow, this is a way to feel empowered. You can do it. You can change those thoughts. When you change those thoughts, you change your life. And you change how you feel about yourself. Again, I'm Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and we'll catch you next week for more Sex Up with Carol the Coach. Now remember, there will only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a great week. And I'll see you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.